Welcome to Inspiring Voices, the podcast inspired by IBM's executive search and integration team, showcasing diverse and influential leaders and their impact in the world. Welcome to episode one of our global storytelling podcast, where we will be highlighting experiences of our diverse executives and showcasing IBM's inclusive culture. Kicking off our series with one of IBM's leading ladies, we are absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Kitty Cheney-Reed, who most recently took up the role of Chief Leadership, Culture, and Inclusion Officer. Kitty, welcome. Thank you Thanks. again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today and how are things? Things are fantastic. Couldn't be any better. Kitty, you've had such a fantastic career journey with a wide range of expertise in technology and business gained from more than 25 years of hands-on experience in solution design and implementation, service delivery, client services, shared services, business transformation, mergers and acquisitions, human resource operations, and retail operations. Your resume already reads like a Hall of Famer, and you're just getting started in a new role central to IBM's identity. Your experience teamed with a real passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion have already had a profound impact on IBM and know that me, along with many, many others, are very much looking forward to your leadership in this next chapter of your journey. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. When I hear you talk about me like that, I'm like, who is that lady? It is so much deserved. So much deserved. And thank you so much for your time today. I want to start by going back to the beginning of your journey here at IBM. When our exec recruitment team contacted you for a VP role back in 2017, what made you choose IBM and what keeps you here? That's a great question, David. I have to tell you that my first instinct was not interested. I remember getting the phone call from a recruiter who I think is still here, Eric Snyder. Eric said to me, boy, do I have this great opportunity that you are perfectly suited for. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. And I remember him talking about it, not like a job, but like a real opportunity. He described it as an opportunity to transform a very significant piece of our business, which was the quote to cash space for the Americas. He talked about it in the context of what he had learned about me and my leadership style, I guess through networking and maybe through uh, LinkedIn. And I remember thinking, this is different. You know, you get calls from recruiters all the time, but very rarely do they talk to you in a way that compels you to really consider the opportunity as maybe the opportunity to do the best work of your lifetime or your career. And Eric painted that picture for me. And I remember saying to him that I was going to keep listening, (laughs) you know? And so the way he positioned it was probably the most compelling piece. And then the second piece of it was the research I did on IBM and the history we have around diversity and inclusion. I think those were the two things that compelled me to really consider the opportunity. And then thinking about the size of the company and thinking about the limitless opportunities that might be available to me beyond the role that I was being recruited for. 
I think those are the three things that compelled me to consider seriously the offer. And then I would say in terms of what keeps me here, it's kind of the same thing. I've had an opportunity to kind of do three or four very exciting roles here that were all around transformation and all of which gave me the opportunity to use creative license to reimagine the work. And I think people don't get an opportunity to do that very often. And so I consider myself immensely blessed to be able to do it, not one time, not two times, not three times, but four times. So I just think the opportunity has been priceless. Can you describe what stands out to you about the culture here at IBM? Lots of things stand out. And I would say the thing that I value the most is the fact that you have the opportunity to create, you have the opportunity to reinvent, and really the opportunity to lead in a way that I've not seen at other companies. And I think a lot of that is dependent upon kind of your own personality and leadership style. But I don't think I've ever been faced with a situation where I thought, I can't do this. Like the system won't let me do this or people won't allow me to do this or there are constraints around me reimagining the future. So that's really the thing that I think is remarkable here. You know, there are many opportunities we have around our culture, but this license we have to re-engineer and recreate and create is something special. Holding multiple high-profile and highly visible roles since joining, as you just mentioned, how do you feel IBM sets you up for success as a senior leader, and is it what you expected? So I would say my experience here has been different than I expected. I remember being deathly afraid of coming to work for a company that was, you know, upwards of at the time before the Kindrel split, it was close to a hundred billion dollars in revenue. And I came from a company that was six or seven billion dollars in revenue. So I remember thinking to myself, can I do this? Like, like, is it going to be really hard? And is it going to be possible for me to be successful here? And in my first job, I had Quotes Cash for the Americas, which was $45 billion worth of revenue at the time. And I remember thinking, oh, this is a lot. I've done this job globally at a company before. I've done different dimensions of this job. But can I do it at this really, really big company? And after being here for, let's call it 90 days, six months, I was like, oh, I can do this. Like, I can really do this. And, and I think what I figured out is IBM kind of operates like a lot of small companies within a big company. And I think that was a decoding of sorts that I kind of figured out over time with the help of others, but over time, just through matriculating throughout the company. And I remember being very relieved, <laughs> like thinking, taking a deep breath and thinking, 
you know, this is this is good, right? So a big part of my success as a leader, I think, was a fast start. And I have to say our HR team was really critical to me being set up for success. Deb Adams, Sonia Miller, who's not here any longer, they were people who partnered with me to make the right connections, to meet the right people, to understand the right processes. I remember Sonia actually bringing me my laptop and sitting down with me and saying, okay, here are the things you need to load on your, but let make sure you get in terms of productivity. You know, at the time it was same time. It was, you know, W3, uh, you know, it was kind of all of those things. And I just remember feeling cared for. And then, you know, the onboarding team, I had a hundred day plan and every 30 days I had a check-in with somebody who was dedicated to me. And I also remember thinking, does everybody get this kind of attention that's a new executive? I remember also getting my box in the mail that had like all of my IBM goodies. But most importantly, it had a letter from Jenny about what it means to be a leader and an executive at IBM. So it set the bar high but I knew exactly what was expected of me. Even before I met my awesome manager at the time, Brian Truskowski, he was amazing. I remember him telling me that he had not hired an external hire. He had not made an external hire in probably 15, 20 years and how important it was to him that I was successful. And he was always available and gave me so much room and so many different opportunities to contribute. Like if there was a special project or if there was something that, you know, they needed outside in perspective on. He was like, Kitty, how do you feel about being a part of this or that project team? And lastly, I'll say Drew Valentine was somebody who reached out to me early and and basically encouraged me to get involved in the Black community. He made sure that I was aware of all of the BRGs and he wanted to, I know now that he was assessing my interest, you know, in being a part of the council. I mean, he was just really, really good about setting the stage around the willingness for IBM to embrace me as a person of color and to, to really cater to my passions around diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's fantastic. And Kitty, I, I love the way you call out the names of the individuals that you've come across on your journey. I mean, I think at IBM, sometimes it does take a village. And the fact that you continue to not only remember, but speak so highly of those individuals really brings life to your journey. And I think it's just, it's fantastic to hear. Was there a defining moment or catalyst that put you on your current career journey? Probably. Um, (laughs) So so I think about uh, people hear me talk about my husband often, but my husband is the person that I credit with my entry into technology. In my background, I think you heard that I started my career in retail operations. I started as a an executive trainee with Macy's department stores. 
and, you know, kind of worked my way up and around. But my husband saw something in me that I didn't even see in me. He was like, "Ah, I saw this job and I think you should consider it. He was like, have you ever really thought about technology? And my husband is a techie. He was like, have you ever thought about technology? I'm like, no, I don't even know how to use a computer. And he was like, and this was, you know, in the in the late 80s, early 90s. And I remember him saying to me, you should try it. You should think about it. And I kind of dismissed it. And so when the opportunity arose, I had a decision to make about leaving a retail company and going to work for a startup. And I remember being terrified. I also remember thinking, they're playing company. It's not a real company. I, I can't leave my real job to go work for a company that has only 40 employees. And I remember having that discussion with my husband and he was like, you have zero to lose and everything to gain. And you think like a techie. Because, you know, I'm the tinkerer. I'm the person who's always trying to figure out how something works and how to make it work better. And, the, you know, I'm kind of a logical thinker. I'm always thinking about how we operationalize things versus, you know, just writing processes. And he saw that in me. And so I did it. I actually made the, the leap after a lot of coaxing. And it was the best thing that I could have done. And then... I would say the secret to me rising so quickly within the ranks, and I guess quickly is a relative term because I don't think it was quick at all, but I think other people think it was quick. But me rising through the ranks was me asking difficult questions and me raising my hand to do difficult things. That's always been kind of my roadmap for my next opportunity. I mean, I'm going to need to talk to your husband because his power of influence seems very strong. I had a similar Louis Vuitton situation at home with my wife and it didn't go so well. So I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to give him a call and see, see if he can help me out on that one. <laughs> my next question is around something that I know you have a true passion for both inside and outside of IBM mentorship as the executive sponsor for the Atlanta global women in IBM initiative serving on IBM's black executive council executive board member with Atlanta-based Women in Technology, and more recognition than I have time to reference. Can you tell us a little more as to why mentorship is so important to you and where this passion comes from? That's an easy one. Mentorship was something that I think I can attribute to my personal success, like my success as a human being and also as a professional. I lived next door to a teacher. She was an art teacher and she just took an interest in me. And, you know, I'd see her at, at school, of course. I was in her art class um, because I loved to paint and to draw and, you know, it was a fun elective. But for whatever reason, she took an interest and she would just take me places and do things with me. She took me to my first play. She took me to my first fancy restaurant. I remember her taking me to my first museum. So all of those things were things that she just saw in me. Like, I don't, I can't even explain like why. Maybe it was 
you know, this thing I have about asking why, <laughs> you know, or asking lots of questions. Maybe that's what drove the connection between the two of us. But she was amazing for me early on. I think I was in junior high school when when we met. And I lived in a small town. And so the role models and the mentors I had were, you know, people at church and maybe a nurse, you know, definitely not a doctor, definitely not technical people. I mean, teachers, of course, and principals. But that was the kind of the the height of my exposure in terms of people that I saw doing things professionally. And I remember her asking me, so where are you going to college? And I was like, college? I hadn't even thought about college. And it was the first thought I had of, I can be more than I am. I can be more than the people I see. And I've always had a passion for reading, which she fed. And, and I just remember thinking, you know, at that point in time, maybe I was 13, 12, 13, I remember creating a very clear picture of what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I'm living that dream. So I, I just, I can't express enough how important it is for us to invest in mentorship because it'll create a possibility for for growth and for greatness that I think some people never achieve or never dream of because they can't imagine it. Thank you for sharing. I think you you lead by example, but continue to reach back. I think that's uh, that's an, an amazing character trait, and I know not everyone does. And and I I appreciate you, <laughs> and not only for the the things that you say, but the things that you do. You know, I've been kind of watching you from a distance over the past several years. And, you know, you continue to uh, amaze not only me, but uh, but a lot of us as well. I mean, look up to you. So speaking of inspiration, kind of segue into my next question. Who has been your inspiration, personal or professional? And what, what would the reasons be behind that inspiration? So people are usually surprised when I say this, but do you know, well, I'm sure you do, Tyler Perry. So he's an inspiration to me for one particular reason. He had a dream, he had a vision, and he just didn't give up. You know, he lived in his car, he borrowed from people to put on productions, but he stayed the course. He invented this character that was based on kind of his real life family experiences, and he made an enterprise out of that character. He is a multi-billionaire because he dreamed a big dream and he committed to the dream. And every time I see him doing something amazing, I can't help but pause and go, we need a hundred Tyler Perry's. You know, that to me is just remarkable. And you know, the, the interesting thing for me is I don't like his movies. I really don't. I, I, I'm not thrilled by them, but I admire his tenacity, his commitment, his vision, and what he's doing for 
Black America, not just Black America, but for underrepresented minorities. Him purchasing a piece of land that was really a Confederate piece of land, you know, in Atlanta, and building a multi-billion dollar entertainment complex and studio complex there and employing hundreds and thousands of folks is just amazing to me. I mean, (laughs) amazing. I can't even fathom how you envision something like that and how you have the fortitude to make it a reality. And for that, I am just forever grateful, to be honest, because it's an inspiration to me. It's an inspiration to our our children and future generations. So more power to Tyler Perry and all the folks like him. Absolutely. I mean, I I love the way he's been unapologetic as well, putting out the content that he believes in, regardless of what anyone has to say. So fantastic choice. Thank you for sharing. Next, you have recently moved into the role of Chief Leadership, Culture, and Inclusion Officer. Please say the Chief. C-suite stand up. (laughs) What impact are you hoping to make here? You know what? I pinch myself daily when I see my title at the bottom of my email. And the reason I pinch myself is because this is work that I've done like on the sidelines. This is work that I've done in my spare time, you know, uh, with my not even spare time, discretionary time, let's call it that. And I never thought that I would have the opportunity to do this kind of work for a company as iconic as IBM. So this is me living my best life. And so what I owe IBM and IBM MERS is the best work we can come up with, right? The best work in the industry, not just the best work we can come up with within the the walls of IBM, but the best work we can do in the industry. And so my dream is really for us to be uh, a trailblazer, continue to be a trailblazer in the areas of leadership, culture, and inclusion. You know, to me, it looks like this. So when we advertise a job, I want us to have so many applicants that, you know, we can't hold them all in our databases. I want people to talk about us as pioneers in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I want us to be talked about um, and admired when it comes to the culture we've created and the inclusion scores that we can boast and the engagement scores that we can boast. And most of all, I want all of that to contribute to an amazing position in the market and in the industry that is unparalleled when it comes to AI and hybrid cloud. That's what I want. Uh, That's what I want us to contribute to as a leadership culture and an inclusion team. And I think we're on our way to that. So for all of those things, I'm eternally grateful. And again, I have to pinch myself every day. Okay, my last two questions are more personal, as I know you are a mother and wife on top of your several day jobs we've been discussing. (laughs) As a senior leader, how do you ensure a healthy work-life balance? So first of all, I don't think there's any such thing as work-life balance. I think that's the first thing we have to contend with is it's not achievable. I like to think about it as work-life integration. 
Like, how do you integrate work and life in a way that it allows you to be a healthy professional and help in a healthy individual? And so I would tell you that I also don't believe that you can have it all. I believe you can have it all, but not at the same time. And if you've listened to anything I've said, you've probably heard me say that before. So what I try to do is prioritize. I've been accused of being ruthless when it comes to prioritization. So at home, I prioritize family and I prioritize having a comfortable and welcoming home. So I invest my time and energy in those two things. You know, really, you can come to my house on any Sunday and get a full-blown Sunday dinner and you can have it with me and my family because we all convene there almost every Sunday. And so the other thing is on the professional front. You know, again, you can have it all, but you can't have it at the same time. I've always been what I consider a higher high achiever or at least I aspire to be. Um, And I think the secret to that is clarity, understanding very clearly what you are going to do, being accountable for delivering those outcomes and making certain that the people you work with and for understand the purpose of the work. So clarity, accountability, and purpose. I think those are the guiding principles I've used forever. And I think when you have those things lined up, it's kind of easy to prioritize properly the work you do. And just as I said, home and family are critical to to anybody's well-being, but especially mine. I have three boys and a husband, and my mom lives with us as well. And so nothing's more important than them feeling like they're home when they're home, right? And that their mom, their daughter, their wife is going to take care of them. So I make sure I do that. I make the time to do that. Lastly, today, what advice would you give to your 21-year-old self? This is also easy. Dream bigger, I think if I had started sooner to visualize and dream about my future, that maybe I'd be running a company by now. Maybe I'd be like Tyler Perry. I'd be a billionaire or at least a multimillionaire. But I do, on a serious note, I do think dreaming is important. I think you can achieve what you can't dream. And so if at 21 years old, I remember thinking, I'm going to be a great leader. I'm going to be doing exactly what I'm doing today, leading teams and making decisions and contributing in business. Like I'm, I'm doing exactly what I dreamed I would be doing. And so I feel like the power of a dream is infinite. And at the end of the day, you can go as high as you can dream. And so that's what I'd say to 21-year-olds around the world. Dream big, really, really big. Kitty, this has been an absolute pleasure. Your story serves as both inspiration and motivation for so many of us. 
You continue to be a beacon of light for IBM and an example of what a real role model looks like. Thank you again for your time, your candid responses, and not only to continue speaking up on the issues that matter, but walking it like you're talking. Thanks so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Voices. If you're a senior leader who is interested in learning more about our inclusive culture and leadership at IBM, please reach out to us via email at ibmexecsearch at ibm.com. That email again is ibmexecsearch at ibm.com. We can't wait to hear from you.